0: a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure and now with this week's episode your host clinical psychologist dr Nazanin moali hello and welcome to episode 98 of sexology podcast i'm your host dr Nazanin moali i hope you're enjoying this holiday season this episode goes live 2 days before Thanksgiving and my husband and I and our family were going camping. I'm so looking forward to this trip because it's I love spending time in nature and this would be a great opportunity to do so. But you know, before I walk through all of my issues, at least most of my issues. I remember Thanksgiving tend to be a tough time. So if you're struggling with your spouse, partner, your family, this is an excellent time to reach out and get help. In my practice, it's me and two other therapists and you can come and talk to us or we can do a video counseling. All you need to do is go to the link on the show notes and book an appointment with us. Or you can call me at 310-600-9912 if you want to do a... 10 minutes consultation to see if we're good for for you. Today, we're going to talk about a topic that we talked about in the past, but we're talking about it from a different perspective. We're talking about uh, healing after infidelity, but we're focusing on the offender. In past episodes, we had two episodes that we talked about how to heal the relationship, how to regain their sexual energy and recover through the erotic challenges that comes with infidelity. But I'm very excited today to talk about the infidelity from the offender perspective, because I believe this is the perspective that often we don't talk about. And it is important to address it. Our guest today is Beth Lewandi. she's a licensed professional counselor in private practice in Cincinnati, Ohio, where her specialty areas are love and loss. She treats couples and individuals healing from infidelity and other relationship wounds. Her whole human theory and approach based on brain science and methods research, also includes personality assessment to effectively confront variation in individual motivation processing communication and inner world her book after the affair healing for the offender uses this unique perspective to treat infidelity from the inside out with a focus on the offender's healing while most texts unapologetically Side with the betrayed partner or give minimal empathy or time to the offender, Miss Lewandi acknowledges and presents a roadmap for anyone who has ever strayed and is feeling the effects of their choices. Without further ado, here's my interview with Miss Beth Lewandi. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am so excited to have the author and the therapist and my fellow podcaster, Bet on a show today. Bet, welcome
1: to our show. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad to be here.
0: I'm so excited that you are here. And funny thing that we just had this conversation, part of the interview, and my we had technical difficulties so <laughs> we're doing a little bit of a redo thank you so much beth for your flexibility so uh, we were just talking about how most of the books and the research that i specifically like as therapist came across the focus is on addressing the pain of a betrayed person it's often there's nothing real ro- not there's no focus on the offender, so it's either the relationship or the person who's who's been hurt. So I'm kind of curious to see what happened that you decided to focus on the experience of the offender?
1: Yeah, I get that question a lot. People really are curious about that because I think we're quite we really are quite biased in the way that we talk about it. Even the language that we're using, saying the hurt partner in a in a betrayal both partners are actually hurting and sometimes they know it very acutely and sometimes they are denying it and justifying actions etc but that the offender i use this language the offender has actually done something has betrayed the other has betrayed the partner betrayed the relationship so that's I'm, I'm just making a point of the language there because it's everywhere that we have that bias. And that is part of the reason why I really wanted to publish a book that was really geared and speaks directly to the offender. And that really sprang out of dealing with couples and individuals and hearing them just hour after hour and session after session describing their pain and chaos, confusion, um, consternation, and really realizing this infidelity is as devastating for the offender as it is for the betrayed partner
0: right right and i certainly see that when i work with couples when they they experience betrayal most of the time the offenders are very remorseful they very hurt And that's a partner, that's part of the equation that I feel get kind of neglected. So I'm kind of curious to see what are some of the unhelpful patterns that offenders usually do that you find that it keeps them stuck?
1: I think, you know, I mentioned a couple of them justification and denial. That can definitely happen. I call this acute phase the beginning of infidelity treatment. And that is actually, it's whenever. And infidelity is discovered or someone might not have actually gotten caught or told their spouse about this, that acute phase for someone coming in for treatment can be a decision phase too. It can, it's at, at any time where the infidelity starts to have consequences for who's ever coming in for help. Oftentimes, another one of the patterns that the offender can develop is this um, what I call crisis ambivalence, not really knowing what they want to do, not knowing if they want to get out of the affair, if they're willing to give up that relationship, if they want to get out of the committed relationship. And and this is a, a really confusing time. We know this, that ambivalence in itself is exceedingly painful, that uncertainty is really difficult to manage. And a lot of our clients need help managing and regulating during the time when they're uncertain about what they want to do. They're also, I mean, they can, they can be having essentially quite an identity crisis, realizing that they're doing this or that their behaviors have escalated to kind of unrecognizable. They may not really understand why they have done this, um, how this developed, how they got into this space, trying to make sense of it. And if if couples counseling is engaged during that time, a lot of couples counselors really actually will not treat people until the partner, the offender, has given up the affair partner. Um, I actually don't do that. I will see people while the affair is still ongoing. And I think it's really important resource for the couple themselves actually i mentioned a little bit about the questions that the offender has and oftentimes the uh, the betrayed partner also has those same questions if they know about it essentially they're what's wrong with you why did this happen how did this happen and then people can get really really stuck on asking those what questions and why questions and to the extent that there's really no forward movement, there's really no progress in the healing. Right. And I
0: I wanted to highlight the ambivalence piece that I can see. It's very challenging. And I have mixed feeling about it. Ambivalence of whether I wanna and I see it very frequently in my practice, that whether I wanna work on my relationship, marriage, or I wanna kind of go, go back and create like new life with this affair partner and at times I feel like and it's not black and white and it's not easy to know and again it's different if it's a one-night stand versus like a co that you you've been working and know the person for years but I find that at least in my practice sometimes people prematurely disclose things with to their partner that can be hurtful could be not necessarily in a thoughtful way what is your thoughts on that
1: yeah tell me more about that what are you so exactly what
0: do you mean yeah no I think I was like I wasn't clear I was thinking in my head so <laughs> you know for example I have clients that you know they decided to end their relationship after the affair for no so many reasons not necessarily the affair partners were so great just because you know by the point that they got into the kind of decide to act on these desires there was something in the relationship that wasn't working for them so the relationship with their partner with husband wife it was it was done and this was kind of a yeah, new opening for them that they went with a fair partner
1: right so you're saying that uh, relationships end prematurely interrupted by infidelity when they might not need to. Yes and no. I say like the
0: part I'm saying, like people kind of, they're at times quick to disclose to their partner when it's not necessarily a kind of process of discovery. I mean, I love the fact that, you know, it's important to be honest, but if you're disclosing things that are not necessary and you don't know what direction you're going, that can traumatize the other partner as well. And that can also create more hurt for you. I'm kind of curious about what's your thoughts about disclosure.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, you know, I'm going to give the classic response of it depends (laughs) because, yeah, yeah, and and it will depend on a lot of different factors. Oftentimes it depends on the personality of the offender, the person making that decision. Um, And sometimes it depends on the dynamics in the relationship. But you know, if you've read my book, you know that um, my approach to therapy includes the element of personality assessment. And I think this is a really important factor in treating couples because most of the ways that we address infidelity treatment are they're quite standardized. There I mean, there are choices and options in each one of those areas, but the biggest thinkers and talkers about infidelity treatment right now are, Offering, and they have for many, for decades really, have offered maybe two or three different phases of treatment. And those things are really helpful. They are very helpful. This approach takes a look at the way that individuals are made and our tendency to think, process, be motivated, and have an internal world that is distinctly different, even if outside behavior can be kind of similar. So there are some people who actually can, they themselves can weather and process their own guilt and shame, their own identity crisis with probably the help of a therapist, not really alone. Most people, no matter how they're made, don't actually do this very well without some guidance. Um, And I've seen that persist for, for decades, literally. And some people actually have, they have a driving need for things to be exposed and to be clean, so to speak, to take that risk, to be known and fully known and understood by their partner. And they, they really want to reveal this. Now, there are some other people who actually um, use an affair as an excuse or a catalyst to get out of a relationship. So that's why I say it depends. That is one of those things. You know, I've had clients who reveal to me, well, this has happened, well, fairly notably frequently, where I've been seeing someone for two, three, maybe four sessions, and then they reveal, oh, yeah, that's right, and I'm having an affair. Like, okay, we probably should talk about that. (laughs) And they're not... They're not ready to reveal it. It's something that it's part of what's brought them into therapy to begin with. And being able to process with them, with the relationship individually, what are the healthiest ways in keeping with the way that they're made and the way they move in the world, with the way their partner is made and moves in the world, and with the dynamics of the relationship. Is it going to be necessary to do this full disclosure?
0: Right, right. And I love that you're saying that it depends on people's personality because we all are different and we deal differently with grief and loss and all of that. So it's important to kind of t- be mindful and intentional about taking a step that kind of honor the person, like the, who you are. Also, I'm kind of curious to learn more about the affair partner. So you said like you don't necessarily encourage them to immediately end the relationship how are you using her or him as a resource
1: i think really examining what does that connection and relationship with the affair partner add to the offender's life what's their experience that can actually give us a lot of information about what has been lacking for them how they got into this situation it can actually expose some things some about the offender themselves as they're contemplating considering answering the question like really what kind of a man do I want to be or what kind of a woman do I want to be and is this situation really matching that and then encouraging people to really live up to what their own value system really is and that obviously relies on people being able to have a little self-awareness or insight into those ideals at a time when they are probably a little bit drunk on hormones and brain chemicals and <laughs> they're not necessarily in their right mind when they're engaging in an affair. So dealing with them during that time, it is it is challenging, but I think it's really, really worth it. It's very necessary to to give them something meaningful, instead of saying, I can't work with you until you make up your mind about this. That crisis ambivalence is one of the hardest, hardest things for people to process. And to tell them to go away and figure it out on their own, and then come back to, you, I think is really pretty cruel, cruel, might even be unethical.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That is true, because I feel like there's just one of the toughest part of the the kind of
1: process with
0: kind of sitting with that discomfort and this, as you said, identity crisis. And you know, at times, it's what it is hard is that maybe the offender is not ready to leave the partner. And when, like, I know other therapists and colleagues, they pressure the to say, okay, you have to end it, they kind of get stuck in this kind of like lie cycle. So the part, the offender said, I ended it, and they're focusing on the relationship. When that relationship is still kind of going, and you know, so I'm kind of curious how do you navigate that piece? do you so it seems like you don't ask them the promise of you have to end it before working on the couplehood?
1: No, and I would say if the partner is demanding that, if if the betrayed partner is demanding that the relationship end before anything happened, I mean that's that's up to them, and that's out of my realm, and I will. Empower and support and encourage, and take a look at that. What I end up doing is I work with couples, but I also allow them the option of doing individual sessions with me. And um, I know that some people do this differently, but I protect confidence in those individual sessions because no matter what is happening with the state of that affair, the person who's engaged in it needs a place that they actually can trust to tell their whole truth. Um, and I want to be that person, I want to be that place for them. I want I want someone who's highly skilled and knowledgeable to hold that information with them. I think that a uh, place of honesty is a key to the offender's healing. And ultimately the offender's healing is the key to any possibility of having a relationship between those two people. And it's the key to them being able. Individually, even if their spouse decides that they will not stay in relationship with them, which is also a possibility, spouses have their own pile of ambivalence also. Even when their first response is to claim that they desperately want to stay in this relationship and in this marriage, the truth is they really want to, they don't want to go back to the relationship that allowed or Perhaps help foster, or even in the reality of the relationship, where an affair happened. They don't want that. Nobody wants that. So, they also, as the betrayed partner, are going through their own process of crisis ambivalence. So, if they come to the conclusion that they're not staying in the marriage, then this process of healing for the offender can be at least a lasting healing and a processing so that they're not left with just their own patterns of behavior for decades and decades and decades that's a, that's the goal getting healthy people if we're going to if we're actually going to help save relationships that have weathered suffered infidelity in a way that's healthy and helpful that makes it possible for them to enjoy long-term lasting connected nourishing Safe relationship, then it means that they actually have to experience very deep healing themselves.
0: Right. No, I think that is true. And also I think the other piece of it is that not every single couple is meant to stay together. I remember when I was in graduate school, I went to this keynote speaker in evolution of psychologists, like maybe, I don't know, 10, 20 years ago, 15 years ago. And the person was saying that, you know, my goal is to save every single marriage. And you know, now I'm being in this practice of psychology and doing all this work, I realized that that might not be ideal for everyone. Some people are great people and they're just not meant to be either the course of the relationship is done or they're not, not compatible and they might be happy outside the relationship, but it's also Important to address the hurt, so and kind of process these difficult emotions.
1: Right, absolutely. No matter if they stay together or do not stay together, that healing for each one of them it's it's very, very helpful for the offender to have that processed and to understand it and to be responsible for their own actions. and the same thing for the betrayed partner to understand it, to have some healing and to be responsible for their own behavior too and that does not mean that I, I do not believe that every infidelity happens on a 50/50 or by any means not not even close. Um, some infidelities are relational the relationship itself sort of sets the stage for that to happen. Some infidelities are just, impulsive they're passionate acting out some infidelities are structured and long- term you know you're referring to if it's a workmate who you know really well and you have long-term connection with and that goes on and on and on it's that's very different from a one-night stand but no matter how that infidelity occurred, what the nature of it is, there is some responsibility to take a look at when processing, A committed relationship.
0: Right. And I think the other piece that gets missing in the work of kind of recovery from infidelity is the sexual piece. So a part of my practice is sex therapy, as as you know. And sometimes couples come in, and I ask them, okay, what happened? That like they say, you know, we haven't had sex for decades. And when I do the kind of interview and I ask them what started, it seems like so there was this infidelity, and they feel they worked through it, but the erotic piece never gets kind of addressed, and sure. they just kind of like. Uh, stop having being intimate and that that part of relationship dies so I'm kind of curious what is what is the pattern that you notice do you think is it possible to kind of restore the sexual energy after the
1: betrayal well first of all can I say that if they actually are not having sex they have not processed the infidelity (laughs) I mean so I would beg to differ especially if it's years decades later what they have what they have done is allowed that to scab over but they probably have not actually done their healing and their processing I know I know that you deal with this area of sexuality more much more directly than I do in my specialty area but I deal with it with couples all the time yeah I This, that part, if I were hearing that from a couple, I would go back and rework the stages of healing for them and the the treatment of the infidelity itself. What normally happens, what I see with clients is they may, oh, well, this, this is kind of fun, Naz. I have had probably five couples within 18 months, let's say who actually have gotten pregnant during crisis ambivalence.
0: (laughs) I never had that experience. That is interesting.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm starting to form a little theory around it. And this is very true. Having treated lots of people dealing with infidelity, there is a sexual response. There's a biological response to this, which can be very confusing for couples where it's kind of like, come here, get away. I love you. I want you. Go away, I hate you, I don't want to even look at you. And part of it is the biological imperative to reinforce that physical bond between the two people. And this can be, it can feel really confusing and very off putting, but you have a paired partner who are committed to one another. They may have a long history sexually, there might be lots of different contributing factors to their personal sexual history. And then the affair enters, sometimes the discovery follows or it doesn't, and and the affair can change the nature of the sexual connection with the committed couple. Um, Maybe that's sort of obvious or it goes without saying, What I think might be a little bit shocking is that sometimes it actually changes that committed couple's sex life for the better, makes it more passionate or intense or whatever, and that can that can be really off-putting to some people because they do not understand it. So I would say working through that erotic healing is really predicated on processing the other stuff first and allowing and normalizing whatever kind of sexual experience they're having whether it's distancing or whether it's more intense, whether it's more frequent, whether it's like the biological stamping over and over and over again, which hmm, interestingly enough has resulted in several pregnancies.
0: <laughs> yeah, I noticed that, that people want to, when in the mode of crisis, some people want to reconnect sexually. And that's part of their kind of repairing detachment. So I never had co- uh, couples getting pregnant, which is very interesting. But I've noticed <laughs> that people kind of getting confused. What's going on with me? I, I desire him more, desire her more. That now I have that this information,
1: right?
0: Yeah. And the other thing that's interesting that I think has issue is kind of like the loss of sexual confidence. So the partner saying that like we all make these stories that, you know, the partner went outside the relationship because I wasn't enough sexually or, you know, the person was like more skilled in this. So I think I have this kind of a ambivalence myself about how much disclosure is helpful when it comes to the realm of erotic Recovery for the offender and for the hurt partners, because sometimes knowing too much can be hurtful. But the other piece of it, it's it's hard if you don't know. So then you make these stories in your mind about how how was the sex like?
1: Right. Yeah. That's the time when I guide the betrayed partner to really consider. You know, the questions. Is the answer to that going to be helpful? Where Where does the question itself come from? Will it move the relationship forward? Um, will it increase your personal pain? Those are questions to, to ask because there are sometimes where it's smart to put parameters around the nature of those questions. On the other hand, if they have a burning question, they really want to know, um, was your sex with her better than our sex? Sometimes that is a legitimate question. That is the truth that they want to know. Now, the thing is, the couple has to be at a place where the offender is actually going to and is willing to tell the truth about that. But asking those kind of questions in the proper context at the right time and in the scope of their healing can be really valid. You know, I love Sternberg's Triangular Theory of Love where he talks about relationships all relationships, no matter what their nature, are a combination of passion, intimacy, and commitment. And sometimes where that passion is lacking in relationship, both partners knowing that that is actually an issue, when it's used in the right way to help move them forward, that may be the truth of their relationship. So uncovering that truth versus covering that truth up is probably the more healing thing. Now, on the other hand, if you have someone who is the betrayed partner, and they are feeling just crappy overall about themselves, which is can be a common response. And just so you know, not everyone actually responds that way to finding out that their partner has betrayed them. It doesn't always go to that internalization of worthlessness and shame and There is some element usually of rejection, but that again, it depends on how people are made and what, um, you know, I talk about in the book as being the driving element for different zones of heart first, brain first, or body first people. Oftentimes, body first people, their driving element is anger, and that's what they'll feel most of, and it gets projected outward. People who are brain first, their driving element is fear, or anxiety. And that all of the anxieties, the thoughts, and the worries and concerns, that's what they're really focused on. And then for heart first people, when they are betrayed, the thing that gets triggered for them is is this very feeling of shame and a lack of worth themselves and feeling very small. But it's important to know that not everyone actually has that as a go to response to having been betrayed knowing that and working with it can be really, really helpful in helping individual people iron out their response. Does that kind of answer that a little bit? No, yeah. No, I think this is fantastic. And
0: I, I that certainly answered my question about people having kind of different responses depending on who they are. And as you said, they're like either body first or brain. Like, was it, what was the three things? Body first, brain first and
1: heart first heart first we do yeah people who are heart first really live out of their feelings and emotions they're warm people they're most of the time they're expressive they have a lot of feelings and obviously brain first people do a lot of thinking they heavily identify with their thoughts they pretty much believe them all and body first people are driven by impulse and instinct and they move through the world there's very little very little distance between stimulus and response for them. And that's kind of natural. You can see how each one of these things to an extreme is can get to an unhealthy level. And it's actually what we treat in psychology when people are beyond that threshold. So these things obviously come up and people move into unhealthy realms when they are dealing with something as earth shattering as an affair on either side of it, whether they are the offender or betrayed right and I'm kind of
0: uh wanted to hear your thought about okay if in our listeners there are people that are quote-unquote offenders and they feel kind of stuck in this ambivalence uh, phase what are some of your recommendations for them as what they need to do to kind of sort this out
1: oh that's a good one because there are so many different possibilities with that you know and I sit with people in that ambivalence a lot so okay so first of all it does depend on how they're made and how they process and what they're doing with that information I would say that most of this like almost never of course I'm a little biased because I'm a therapist but I think almost never are offenders actually capable of making this decision without the guidance of a really well-trained psychotherapist for one thing, as I mentioned before, they're they're drunk on love or lust or the chemical cocktail of the attachment. Even if what they really appreciate about the affair partner um, has to do with the emotional connection, um, we know that those emotional connections also fire the brain up in the reward center, and they fire up all the hormones, oxytocin and vasopressin. So I I think processing with a trained person is really, really important. It's not a matter of pros and cons or of weighing up this relationship versus that relationship. And it's not a matter of just doing what feels good. It's not a matter of following their heart, so to speak. It really is a matter of getting a little bit of balance, getting clear, getting some strength. And I think that has to happen with a therapist. Now, one of the things that has been really helpful for people who feel a little bit ambivalent is to do an exercise. And and it's painful because essentially what I'm doing when I'm walking through things with people is holding a mirror up to them gently in a way with a lot of understanding and allowing them to truly see themselves in a way that they're not actually capable of doing without some guidance. So one of the exercises that we often do is, um, and we do it on the board, we do it visually so that everything that's written down is something both of us can see. And it's what kind of man do you want to be? What kind of woman do you want to be? And then looking at that list as an ideal, a list of ideals. And then looking at the reality and comparing the two. (laughs) Now, you know what? None of us are our real ideal selves 100% of the time. But that's an exercise that's been really helpful in getting people to take a look at themselves. And it can be painful. Right. And, you
0: know, such an important point with working with psychotherapists. And again, obviously, I'm biased too, but at times I feel like, you know, we restore to our friends and they kind of uh, say things that we want to hear. And they're not necessarily trained therapists that can help you kind of navigate things around. So I think it's important to process this with someone that can practice vigorous honesty. So it can give you the honest feedback, but also, give you the space to process these things because based on my experience and I'm sure you might agree as well is that it's not black and white. It's not as easy of, okay, look at pros and cons and you said, oh, okay, I'll leave the fair partner. My marriage has more pros. That's not
1: how it works. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I do think people rely on untrained, unskilled people to move through their lives and we surround ourselves with people, we pretty much know what kind of feedback or response we're going to get from them on any given topic in our lives, right? We have certain friends who, if you have a conversation, an imaginary conversation with them in your mind, you pretty much know what they're going to say. (laughs) Or you know who's going to support you no matter what, which is to say they're going to allow you to not take a look at yourself and not offer any kind of insight. And then you have other people who, if you revealed the truth of what you're doing and experiencing, you know that they would judge you harshly. They might end the relationship with you. It would change things forever with them, right? So they are not the best person you can actually share your entire truth with. And that's kind of the point. A lot of times we don't, and people in an affair are not, like I said, they're not really in their right mind. They're not necessarily seeing themselves, their marriage, or the affair partner accurately at all. And it takes someone who can do that with a lot of empathy and compassion and real insight into what's going on for that offender to be able to move them to have even the strength or the willingness to look themselves squarely in, in the mirror. Right,
0: right. So I know this is a specialty of yours, working with couples and also helping people navigate this uh, maze of emotional kind of ambivalence and pain and hurt due after infidelity and even during the process. So if our listeners want to kind of get in touch with you, kind of get the book and kind of like read your material, where, where would be the good place for them to check those out?
1: Well, the easiest place is my website, which is my name, www.bethluwandi.com. And there are links to the books there if you look in the tab. Also, the book is available on Amazon. It's After the Affair, Healing the Offender. I would awesome. love to hear from people.
0: Great, great. And again, I know that for a while you were doing your, you had your own podcast and you have this wonderful newsletter that people, I would imagine they can sign up through your website as well.
1: Yeah, that's on there too. It's free relationship coaching. Would love to have people connect with me that way too.
0: Awesome, awesome. So guys, if you didn't get a chance to write it down, you can just go to the show notes and get all of those information in the show notes. But thank you so much for your generosity and sharing all this great information with us.
1: My pleasure. It's always great to talk to you. All right, have a good day. Thank you, you too. I hope you found my conversation
0: with Beth Lawandy helpful. I think focusing on offender and helping the offender to heal the wound is essential point that many of my colleagues, they miss. Because if we're kind of like focusing on repairing the wound and focusing on the hurt partner, and sometimes the offender feels shame and guilt for years and years, and they lose hope and they don't want to work the hard, they don't want to focus on the relationship and they don't want to do the hard work. So if we want to make sure the relationship survives, it's important to support both parties, even if, if it means that the relationship ends, I met many great people in my practice that they were good people and they made bad choices for any number of reasons. Anyhow, I wanted to ask you guys, so we're close to our episode 100. I am super excited. I'm preparing this uh, special episode for our episode 100. And I would love to hear your voice on that episode. So what I want from you is just record maybe like 10, 20 seconds of what do you like about this podcast or what was the episode that you like or the sex tip you got from us. You can record easily through our website at sexologypodcast.com. I'm looking forward to hear from you. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to the sexology podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.